Morning, Zul. Welcome to the latest episode of Red Voices. Ewan and Rich here to talk through the finer points of an insane win for Manchester United. They're fourth in 12 months over Chelsea. We needed a win, and a win was delivered in utterly hilarious circumstances. More on that in a little while. But Rich, how are we? Hello. Um, I'm better than I imagined we'd be at this time on this evening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, two hours ago, or you know, in the first couple of minutes of this evening's trip to Stamford Bridge, how are you thinking that was going to shake out? I'm assuming not quite as you know, humorously as it ended up doing. No, um, I mean, obviously we've 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 had a better record at uh, against Chelsea recently than we than we had for many years. I think I just saw somebody tweet that this is the first time we've done double over Chelsea for uh, since eighty seven, eighty eight. I think. Yep, that was the year I was born. For context. Was it? Gosh, that was a long time ago. It was. I think the thing with this United team is you never, ever, ever know what you're going to get. And uh, to to a degree, I now look at games quite fatalistically because we 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 don't win more than we do win. But you just you just never know. And it, one of the things about Solskjaer, and I, I I'm I'm one of those people who thinks that he's probably ultimately not going to be managing United on the whatever first day of the season in August this year, throughout this season, at points when it looks like things might be turning against him, that he does keep picking up results that really kind of keep him clinging on. Um, mm, yeah. And he's done it again. I mean, United had, had not won our last four league games, I think. We'd only won, I think, the, the, the Norwich is the only win in the last six. May have that wrong, right? Well, five or six, anyway. And we're looking at a, a period of fixtures with Chelsea away, Obviously, Watford at home next week, and then um, City and Spurs and Everton in one order or another. And you're looking at those games and thinking, Christ, you know, where are we going to pick up any points? And we've we've gone to Chelsea tonight and and ultimately beaten them quite comfortably, albeit with a with a bit of um, technological <laughs> <Quite> assistance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the one thing I would say before we start getting too excited. I mean, well, no, you can get all excited you want. I'm not your dad, but. Yeah. We do have to take into account several factors that certainly influence the evening's result. So, number one, no Tammy Abraham, no Callum Hudson-Odoi. They would almost certainly have been starting tonight, and that definitely had an influence on proceedings. Number two, N'Golo Kante injured, pulling up, I think it was, in that first half. Coming off, that obviously has a huge difference because Kante is a massive miss for any side. Number three, Harry Maguire was lucky, having dived his studs into... <laughs> Michi Batusri's nether regions in that first half. By all accounts, that should most likely have been a red card. It was oh. uh, not very nice. At first I thought, oh, he's just fallen over and he's basically landed on his studs. Now there was definitely an attempt to kick him in the nether regions there. Such a was thing lucky. to do, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, every now and then if you get knocked over, I mean, it was a bit of a nothing challenge to begin with, but so unnecessary. And not only that, two goals, two even if, to my eye, they were actually the correct decisions, chucked yeah, for, off for uh, one foul and one for an offside. Any of those things go in the opposite direction. We could be looking at a completely different result. But, as you said there, credit to United. They, in the key moments tonight, they stood up and they produced. You know, I, I don't think we can look at that 90 minutes and say that we can take a hell of a lot of po- newfound positives out of there or we've learned anything hugely new about this team. But, you know, that's the fourth time that we've beaten Chelsea in the last 12 months now, I think it is, or thereabouts. And we've been to Stamford Bridge three times in that period and won each of those times. You know, whatever you think about Solskjaer and United at the moment, 
our league form or our general form against Chelsea, both home and away, for decades has been, apt- well, for the last 10, 15 years, has been absolutely turgid. The last time we lost to them was the FA Cup final in May 2018. We played them six times since then. We haven't lost once. It is crazy, isn't it? If you think, think back, when I, I was just thinking of the three this season, but but we uh, obviously we won there 2 in the Cup as well last year under Ollie. It is nuts. I mean, I was saying, what's that group? During the first half, United at the moment, what we saw in that first half was quite similar to what we've seen recently in that United are quite generally quite compact defensively. Their transitions tend to be quite good as well. And I think a lot of a lot of that is down to the resurgence in form of, of, of the mighty Fred, who is fast becoming one of my favourite my favorite footballers. Whatever. Favourite footballers of this time that currently wear the Manchester United shirt. Oh, OK. Well, that's, that's fine. That's fine. Yes, yes. In and around the, the penalty box. The, the quality, the decisions we make and the kind of patterns of play just aren't really there. And so um, we, we really struggle to make to make chances. I think we were fortunate to to get, to get the goal just through half or half time, although it was a really well-worked goal. But to, to go in at one at the break, I think really sort of set the game for us in the second half. But we really hadn't created that much until that point. And I think, but it was a goal that really, I think, showed that Alman Bissaka has really improved going forward, which I think has been the case for, for a few weeks. And that Anthony Martial can still score goals when he's having the most abysmal game. Yeah, I mean, I think that last point is incredibly valid because Martial was having an absolute stinker prior to that header, unfortunately. You know, I mean, to be fair, there was that one moment about sort of 10 minutes prior to that goal where he just suddenly showed that blistering pace and had a shot with his left foot to goal and just didn't quite get his angles correct. You know, and that, that was a, a quick reminder, a quick flash of a reminder of how good and devastating Martial can be in those small instances when he actually does have the opportunity to run out of defence. He's fantastic and we just didn't see any of that prior to that header. But to be fair, the architect of that goal, um, I mean, well, the second architect shall we say uh was Wambasaka. it was it came down initially to Fred actually pushing forward as he did all night you know he created a, a opportunity for a Galo coming in late in the, the stoppage time earlier on this evening as well but yeah excellent by him to get the ball there and Wambasaka with another peach of a cross and that's it to be fair with the way that ball's going there the way Martial has glanced that into the far post beyond Caballero was absolutely excellent a superb header yeah, from a bloke who is not known for his heading ability. And considering the way that first half was going and we were expecting a bit of a nothing end to the half, completely turned the whole game on its head. I don't know if you could say it was deserved for United, to be quite frank, because I think if we look at the way that half shook out, there is an argument to say that Chelsea should have been ahead. Had they not had Batsuai on the pitch, you know, several times he was in really good positions and he just failed to hit the target on every single time, you know. He's, uh, I mean, bless him, it's the first time he started a Chelsea game for, what, two years? And that kind of showed, so that certainly didn't help the matter. And we were exceptionally lucky in those regards when he did get those opportunities that he just clearly didn't have the confidence and wasn't sharp in front of goal. And in that one opportunity, Martial took a, what, a half chance? I'm not sure the XG is going to be very high on that one. And absolutely took it. Fantastic. I did see some arguments talking about the fact that Fred pushed uh, Cesar Aspilicueta into Brandon Williams and I thought that was a little bit much you know mm, there was certainly yeah. contact from Fred into Aspilicueta but certainly not enough to actually push him over Aspilicueta sorry pushed Williams over yeah that was very very clear it was a good finish from Zuma don't get me wrong but by that point yeah I mean it was a completely correct decision to chalk off the goal actually I'm going to turn around Rich and say no I wasn't confident at all because to be fair United are always one moment away from absolutely falling apart and to be fair it didn't look like that second goal was coming 
So yeah, talk to me about that second goal, which is absolutely beautiful. Well, it's becoming apparent to me that, that our failure to uh, score from set pieces in, or, or a corner since September 2018 may have been down to the poor quality of our corner taking. Well, done a minute. Didn't Andreas Pereira set up Phil the Dominator Jones for a header just a couple of weeks ago against the mighty Tranmere Rovers? Well, yes, but I, I meant in the league anyway. In, ga- in games where you aren't playing, oh right, yeah, you aren't yeah, against... that, that completely ruins your whole concept, doesn't it? Well, it, yeah. it does. It, it does. It, in games where we're playing against the competent opponent, but yeah, it's the first, the first, the first corner we scored since September the eighteenth um, in in the Premier League, direct from a corner, and it was just uh-huh. a really, really high quality corner. And um, Harry Maguire did what we saw him do for England at the World Cup, which was really attack attack a, a dead ball and, and absolutely muller a header in. Um and I think I think he and everyone else enjoyed it. But you you could see it wasn't just the corner, it was a lot a lot of I mean there, there was the free kick which uh Fernandez took and hit the post. There was a lot of his work tonight. You you saw that he he's very clever, he knits play together, he finds big neat angles and progresses the ball very well. And mm. I think he hit that that quality that he had made an awful lot of difference, which you'd expect it to. Um, and I think once we got the second, obviously we had the the, the scare with the um, with the second disallowed goal. But aside from that, I think we handled the game reasonably well. I mean, the only thing I'd say is that we started to perhaps we started to get too combative, and that lifted the crowd, which then potentially lifts the opposition. Um, but 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 part of that being too combative was was Fred just. Just being an all round shit house, Fred. Yeah, just being an all round shit house. <laughs> which, so I think someone said to me that he he he's he's kind of becoming basically under Herrera, but perhaps slightly better at football. Which is oh, well, no, but you can see one one of the things I've noticed is you you can see now the player that whether perhaps United thought they were getting, but also that Pep clearly wanted a guy who's extremely energetic who could press. Very high. Who's quite neat in very tight areas. Who who's mobile. He can shift the ball and find good angles, and basically just transition the ball really well. And also, but also help United win it back high up the pitch. And you can really see that he's becoming an enormous asset in this team. And the fact that he's a combative little sod and um, and and likes a good square up is just a bonus, really. I think he did lift the crowd a bit, and he just it made things slightly more awkward than they they need to needed to have been. But once that. Once that second uh, Chelsea goal was ruled out correctly, despite the fact that some people seem quite cross about it for some reason, that that seemed to be it, really. Sure. How have we gotten almost 15 minutes of the way through this podcast without mentioning Eric Bertrand Bailly? We have. For better or worse. We've absolutely missed his um, two-footed interventions, and, and tonight he made a... Tonight he made a positive two-footed intervention, <laughs> and, and it's exactly the content we've been missing, isn't it? Oh, God. I mean, he instantly made that game 1,000% more interesting with his mere presence. And it, it's not simply just the last-ditch tackles. I mean, to be fair, the block on Kovacic in the second half was absolutely superb, don't get me wrong. Wonderful work from Bayer to get that for there. But I think it was more that we saw every single side to Bayer's game tonight. You saw him come back into the starting lineup, having not played for quite some time, misplaced a couple of passes instantly, looked very, very worrying. You saw him do ridiculously unnecessary turns in the penalty area under pressure from opposition attackers. And you also saw him potentially almost get himself injured with a completely ridiculous and full-blooded and committed challenge. Long may he live. When he is playing a game like that, the man is absolute box office. I adore watching him when he's like that. 
And it was it was a great performance, to be fair to him. You know, obviously that's a very tongue in cheek appraisal analysis, but when it came to making those challenges, th- three or four wayward passes aside, and admittedly at the start of the second half, that one awful pass almost set Pedro up for an equaliser. He was genuinely pretty solid, and I think you know there's an argument on the other side of that to say, do United necessarily need a capable and combative but dysfunctional centre back in their ranks no but he certainly makes the game more interesting so yeah, yeah why not why the hell not I mean the few weeks of the season he's fit he's a he's a more able alternative to Phil Jones which we all we all want to see don't we on to the next uh Bruno Fernandes he mentioned him a little bit there talked about him knitting play together um now if as is the sort of popular acceptance that the money for old Bruno has come out of the Paul Pogba sale, which again after this evening with Mina Royola once again chucking out a magnificently unnecessary and somewhat inflammatory statement, admittedly in reaction to Solskjaer's maybe somewhat misconstrued context of saying that he belongs to us. I think I can see a way in which Bruno fits into this side and is able to start linking midfield and attack in a really positive manner. At least in the first sort of 15-20 minutes, the transitions from midfield to attack were certainly much smoother and much more imaginative and we actually looked like we had someone who knew what they were doing in that sense. Not only is he able to find the players in and around him, he's able to use the ball well and quickly, which is something that we've really really suffered with in the last couple of years now obviously as that first half wore on he seemed like he was waiting too high up the pitch which obviously meant as that half wore on he saw less of the ball and Fred was able to come into the game a little bit more and I think that's something he's got to watch especially when he's only playing with those two forward plays like Martial and James because for the most part in that first half it didn't really come off did it you know I mean Dan James again bless him was a very, very willing runner. But I can't look at the evening's work and say that they did one thing this evening that really impressed me. To be fair, Martial didn't do a hell of a lot that impressed me apart from scoring an awesome goal. So there is that. But on the flip side, the three-five-two is by no means our most coherent and potent of formations. So I think there's certainly a way in which Fernandez might have to come back just a little bit more in order to really provide us with his best attributes consistently over the course of the game. But regardless, I really like what I'm seeing of him so far. You know, I I think we've got to be careful about not putting too much pressure and expectation on him straight away because, as has been mentioned many times, but you have to keep repeating it, this is a dysfunctional Manchester United side. It certainly has its plus points, but it has a lot that it still needs to be figured out. There's still some holes to fill, but I think... There's enough in what I'm seeing from Fernandez to say that he can adjust to this level without too much trouble. What would you reckon? Yeah, I think you can already see that he's got a lot of quality on the ball. Um, and we don't have anybody else that has any real quality on the ball. I think, bizarrely, Matic has actually been very good the last six, seven weeks. Far, certainly far better than he's been for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that worried me, I mean, there were two things that worried me. One, that that pass straight out from his own penalty area to a Chelsea player, combined with any time he tried to run past a player. Those two things were very bad. Everything else was generally pretty good. He is keeping hold of the ball much better. And, you know, there's that sort of... not. I don't want to say skulls s because you can't really put those two players in the same paragraph, let alone the same sentence. But there is an element that he is holding onto the ball much better and with much more sharpness than he used to. No, you're right. I, mean, I think um, perhaps two or three months ago, if someone had said to me, you know, his contract's running out at the end of the season, what do we do with him? I'd have said, absolutely no question, you, you know, he should be released and we should sign a better alternative. Um, 
as is, he wouldn't be the end of the world if you got another year out of him. Certainly not as a as a definite starter, but I think he's somebody who has shown that he can come in for spells and and do you know do do a passable job. And if the you know if the alternative is Andreas Pereira or <laughs> well yes Andreas Pereira, then um, you know he's Matic is head and shoulders above him in just in terms of experience and. and and general quality. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's whether or not he wants to kind of take on what is essentially a matter type role. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the quotes, the, the recent quotes are quite interesting. He was asked, and I think he basically said that my priority is Manchester United, and if they don't want me, then I'll go somewhere else. Which, you know, it's fair enough, isn't it? Certainly, the implication there was that, that if United wanted to keep him, he would stay. And I don't see why he wouldn't, because ultimately, I don't think he's going to be getting a move to another really big club. Although I may be wrong, given the way that Antonio Conte's. Hoovering, hoovering up squad players and actually turning them into competent footballers. But yeah. generally speaking, yeah, I mean, it does it does seem, seem to be the case that either we decided we want him to stay or we just let him go and 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 find an alternative. And I think I think you're right. You were talking about Bruno Fernandez there and uh, just just a minute ago, and certainly you'd expect that some of that money has probably come from the Pogba money, but. If we're hoping that we get over sorry over 100 million for him in the summer or something in those in that realms. Then you've still got another fifty million, which you could certainly use to to buy another midfielder to to complement Fred and Fernandez or Stro- or McTominay. Um, I think I think the one if, if if I look at that now and think the one midfielder that United really do miss it is a lack. It is a really high quality holding player, perhaps a deep lying playmaker or make you know a kind of Ruben Neves, either either a kind of Ruben Neves who sort of playmaker type or a or a proper mobile breaker upper of play ultimately that Pogba sale even if we have spent some of that money may could actually help us solve our midfield issues in terms of quality and balance mm, no absolutely I mean I guess there's not too much we probably covered pretty much all the major talking points on that one really haven't we Rich I mean looking at those two goals I would say that Chelsea might not have reason to be agreed with VAR for those two instances I think the red card is probably the one that would be most annoying to them I mean but Regardless, I think the issues for Lampard are bigger now because you've just seen so many times this season that they lack finishes. You know, they brought. All right, to be fair, Drew's finish for that second goal, despite the fact he was offside, was pretty lovely, and that would have been, you know, on a human level, that would have been a nice little goal for him because he's basically just been forgotten about this Chelsea side for the last six, seven months, and Lampard's been constantly going on about the fact that he needs finishes, and Drew's probably just sitting there thinking, oh. Okay, never mind. Looking at that side now, as we sort of transition into chatting about the way that the top four or top five race is going to shake out over the next coming months, I think that's one area where I still feel like United are lightweight, and certainly lightweight when it comes to missing Marcus Rashford. But if you look at Chelsea's options you do start to compare and contrast and just think, are we actually a little bit better stocked? You know, and another quick thing to mention was Odin Agala making his uh, debut this evening. Could have had an absolutely fairy tale moment after Fred was pressing and harrying. And Willie Caballero with a, making himself big towards the end of the game there. God, what a moment that would have been for Regalo. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really expect to see much of him tonight. I think, um, if you bear in mind, he's trained with the, with the first team, I think, once um, since he arrived. He's probably unlikely to be to be really, really match fit or or close to match fit. So it, I, I, I imagine he was on the bench really just as a um, a security um, blanket, as rather than an, an actual option that could would have been used with half an hour to go or thirty five minutes to go or whatever. Um, but yeah, and it was almost the absolutely perfect 
introduction for him, and I, I suspect we're going to see a lot more of him in the Europa League than we do in the in the Premier League. Like as you were saying, we've got so many games now, two two a week for the next five or six weeks that it doesn't seem possible that we won't see quite a large amount of him because you know poor Dan Dan James looks somewhat broken, and if if all all else we have is Anthony Martial, we're going to need more bodies, really. Um, and that's that's essentially what he is, isn't he? He's a body. I mean, we have absolutely no idea if he's going to be any good or not. But he's a, he's a player we can switch out and hopefully get something out of. So, well, he gives us something different, you know. And I think in games where, like tonight, for instance, he's going to do things that Anthony Martial is not going to. You know, he obviously has got a little bit more upper body strength. He's capable of holding the ball up, and he can help to bring other players into the game. You know, and it is difficult watching Martial and James trying to not necessarily graft their way through, but try and figure out a way through defences, especially in a game like that, because I just don't think they're able to do it without a player like Inigalo or Rashford actually taking the focus away and offering something a little different and occupying defenders. And I think they could really use a player like that. And, you know, even if it's just Greenwood coming on for a little while, changing up the situation and giving defenders a little bit more to think about is going to make life a lot more easy for the likes of Martial and James because there'll be more space for them to do their thing. And ultimately, we know if there's one thing that the two of those players need, ultimately it is space in order to produce their best football that we've seen, especially this season, if we're going to talk about it in the last six months or so. But yeah, you know, I'm very much... I think you're right. I think with Agarlo, you know, we've got two games coming up against Club Bruges in the next 10 days. I think it's huge for United to not have to flog Martial slash Greenwood slash James over that period, especially when now, with that result, we put ourselves three points off top four with Spurs playing Chelsea in a couple of days themselves. You know, it's a huge result for us tonight because I think defeat and we are absolutely out of that top four yeah, race. It was done. It, it was done. I, I think um, we have got to that point now where we, we, we need to be winning the majority of our games or the vast majority of our games. And, and while I have a doubt we we'll, we might do that, I think the, the the possibility of fifth place opening up as a Champions League place, he perhaps put the pressure on more. And, and we've, seen, we've seen so often this season when United have had an, a chance when they when the door's open for them, they've basically thrown it away. So tonight, we've had a chance to close the gap on top four and also had the possibility that we can get in the top five and get in the Champions League. And we've actually gone and taken the opportunity, which is 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 quite a rarity in the last few weeks. It's been incredibly frustrating seeing Chelsea and others slip up and United then just failing to benefit themselves. So it it's made, makes a nice, pleasant change. But of course, the way United are, I couldn't honestly tell you with any great confidence that we'll beat Watford at home you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know we are we are we absolutely no clue what you're going to get from game to game no no absolutely not next month is looking huge for us as well you know uh, let's take away the possibility well the the I guess it's a it, it's fairly likely that we'll be in the last 16 of the Europa League after the tie against Club Bruges right does that seem fair to assume I think it depends how many changes we make. I mean, I don't think they're stupid. They, they played Real twice this year, I think, and they actually put in a really good performance in the um, in the away game. So I don't think they're complete patsies. I think we'll probably have to put out quite a decent team. Yeah, I mean, essentially what I was getting at, if you look at the league fixtures that we've got coming up next month, Everton away, City at home, Spurs away, Sheffield United at home. I mean, Everton are, what, two points behind us at the moment. 
City are having a very odd season, but a game at Old Trafford against them is obviously going to be an event and a very difficult game. Playing Spurs away a week later, playing Mourinho will be a, a very tough assignment. And then six days later, playing Sheffield United at home. I mean, these are huge games for United. If they can navigate away through three out of those games with a positive result I think that'll be huge for us but again you just don't know what you're going to get from United at the moment so it's very difficult to know and I think again we are exceptionally reliant on moments of magic or brief hints where we can just get goals like we got tonight with that first Martial one that really helped to swing games in our favour there's still those big question marks over us whenever we concede how well we're going to react and I think until those questions are asked in a positive manner, more frequently, we're going to keep seeing this. Anyway, I guess we've got Club Bruges to look forward to and Watford to look forward to. I mean, you mentioned that Club Bruges uh, recently, well, I say recently, over the last couple of months, were playing Real Madrid. I mean, it's been some time since we played them. When we last played Club Bruges, I believe uh, Javi Hernandez and Memphis Depay were still playing for us. Yeah, and Depay put in two of his, well, one of certainly one of his best performances for United. Um He'd rather save those for the Europa League, didn't he? But we, the, the 4 0 away win was was a bit of a, a red letter day for United in a season where we didn't really score many goals. It also had that um, marvellous moment where Hernandez tripped himself over when taking that penalty and Van Gaal looked over at Giggs on the bench. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> so <laughs> Oh, it was beautiful. I think Watford is probably the biggest game for us over the next sort of 10 days or so, though, Rich, surely. So, how do you see that shaking out next week? I think, as I said, absolutely no idea. Um, they've, they've, you know, Watford have gone off the boil a little bit in the last few weeks. Um, they've, you know, that 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 initial um, lift seems to have drifted a little bit, and they've they've struggled to pick up pick up the wins they were getting early on under Pearson. But United at home to a really to a, to a, a struggling team is well, a, struggling teams are basically kryptonite to United, aren't they? I, you know, I'd like I like to think that, that generally speaking, if, as Fernandez finds his feet and he actually uses that extra quality, we we should hopefully have a degree of creativity that's enough to start putting a few of these teams away. But I really couldn't, I wouldn't put significant money on it. I think we just have to close our eyes as we do every, with every United game and hope and pray and see what comes out in the wash. But we should be beating Watford at home. But we've said that about a lot of games and we don't. So this is exceptionally true. This is very very true. Um, and I guess as well, the only other thing to mention, I mean, you know, there's a, it's been a, a somber day for Manchester United, regardless with uh, the passing of Harry Gregg, a bona fide legend and a wonderful piece of the, the history of Manchester United. Rich, any words on that? Yeah, it's always sad, isn't it? When, I mean, certainly, obviously, they were significantly before our time, but it's always sad when, when figures from the, really big figures from the history of the club pass on. You know, I'm, I always feel that I think he was 87 when he died. So, you know, he'd had a a long life. He'd had a good long life. And given that he could, barring a a slight change of of, um, crash angle or whatever else, that he could have died, you know, back in Munich in in 58. And and he was here till 2020. You know, that's that's a a really good thing. and, And... he just seemed. I mean, we don't obviously we don't know him, but we've seen him interviewed, and he seemed to be a really a really nice bloke and a, and a good man. And and the stories of of him going back into the into the plane to pull others out when he 
when he'd been sort of thrown clear himself is kind of shows that the bravery of the guy as well so it's, it's it's one of those ones where it's both sad in that some a very notable and important person in the history of United has passed on but we can also appreciate that he had a really yeah he had a he had a long life and I, I'm sure that he knew that he'd touched a lot of people during his during his time and you know for him to have been back playing two weeks after the Munich crash for United is quite is quite astonishing you know in in the sort of backward way events like this perhaps make us and make younger fans reflect on on Munich more than than they perhaps do because it you know for that for them even even for me growing up it was an event that happened quite some time before I I was born you know it's sad it's sad to see them die but but I'm glad he had a long life a much longer life than he might have had if if small details had been different no I mean uh, that's expertly put Rich I've got nothing further to add on there I think you've uh offered a wonderful eulogy there so moving on from that there's only one real thing i think is interesting to discuss between now and the end of this week's episode and that will be the news that uh i think it's fair to say shocked the footballing world on friday evening that uefa were going to ban manchester city for two years of the champions league now Obviously, there are a lot of caveats to take into such a ruling because as uh, predicted and as assumed and as stated, City are going to be appealing to the Court for Arbitration of Sport and that appeal case could take a long, long time. It could take weeks, months, maybe even years and given what City are purported to have mentioned about when it comes to actually getting caught doing the things that they have purportedly been accused of. Uh, What have they mentioned? Yeah, I'd rather spend £30 million on a series of lawyers for 10 years to fight the charges. Uh, I I can't help but feel like this is not going to be anywhere near as cut and dried as UEFA hoped. But it certainly makes for a very interesting topic of discussion and for this season at least, I mean, who knows if it's even going to come into effect this season, but it certainly creates a bit of added spice in that top four race, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I, I think, I don't think you can underestimate, or sorry, overestimate just how profound a um, decision this could be for City. Um, one of the things I don't understand is that City have, um, from, from the very start of FFP, been firmly against it. Now, I... I don't have strong feelings on FFP. I, I can see the logic in it, but I also don't feel strongly that rich men shouldn't be able to buy football clubs and plough plow money in. So I don't have a, a horse in that race particularly. But it seems to me that City have always felt that FFP was brought in to prevent clubs like them forcing their way into the into the elite. And that's okay. If they felt that strongly about it, why did they not take UEFA to court at the time and try and have the FFP rules overturned as, as uncompetitive in the in the European court. What they did instead was essentially just sign up to the rules, then agreed, then, then defaulted on the rules and, and agreed a settlement with UA for which they paid, and then proceeded just to cheat, you know, in a way which which has given them an uncompetitive ad, um, a, a competitive ad, advantage over clubs domestically and in Europe. And for me, the excuses and the, the claims seem very hollow when the reality is they could have challenged the, the, the fairness of FFP at the time, but they chose instead to, to sign up to it and to cheat. And, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure what they're doing, I'm sure what the lawyers will be doing, will be trying to expose any procedural um, any procedural errors or any loopholes or anything that was done that wasn't by the book 
by um, UEFA or by the the independent um, panel that that made this this ruling. Mm. But for me, I, I don't I don't see how they can have any complaints about any of it. I mean, it does seem that that they, their owners, by, by virtue of their power and their money, just seem to get whatever they want or have always seemed to get whatever they want and do whatever they like because there's never any repercussions for anything they've done. And it seems to me they're not quite able to comprehend that they could not do what they like here and get away with it. And it's not just in terms of what whether UEFA's punishment is upheld, but the fact is that if it's proven that they've lied to UEFA, they they immediately are infringing on Premier League FFP rules. As such, will be probably due a points penalty and there's, you know, there's even talk, suggestion in the papers that a number of Premier League clubs are thinking of taking legal action against them, particularly those who've missed out on Champions League football or titles because they finished just behind City in, in whichever season between in that period between 2013 and 16. It really is a case that if if City can't overturn it in some way, really could almost destroy the project that they've got going there, and I. I I find it difficult to have any sympathy, not because they're City. I can't bother to be tribal about it. I, I don't feel strongly about FFP, but just because if you sign up to a set of rules and you deliberately flout those rules while everyone else is adhering to them and win things while you're doing it, what else can be done except for you to be punished, just as, just as was the case with Saracens in the in the um, Premiership Rugby? Mm, yeah, wonderfully summed up. The way that City are trying to go about delegitimizing the findings of this investigation ring very very hollow you know that as you said there they signed up to a set of rules and i don't think it is out of the question to assume given what we know given the documents that have been leaked that city have tried to what it could best be termed as pull a fast one i don't think there's any massive doubt about that i think as you said there, City's recourse now is going to be to try and look for any holes in the actual investigative process and try and maybe use the uh, option or the example of Paris Saint-Germain a couple of years ago when UEFA gave them a massive, what was it? It was a transfer deficit, I think it was. Basically, gave them a limit on the amount, on the amount of money they could spend in one summer. Now, I think where this case gets even more fascinating, as you mentioned, that obviously the potential knock-on of what could happen if this case goes through, there's a lot of pressure on UEFA now to make sure that they actually see this investigation to the conclusion that they actually require and they think is relevant and offer a ruling that they believe is appropriate for the infringement. You know, To come out and hit a Gulf state... Bron Club. We've got billions and billions of pounds behind it. It's had a lot of investment. They have overturned the hierarchy in English football and they are getting close, well, maybe not closer, but they're certainly a European site now, an established force in European football. To come after the royal family over in Abu Dhabi, to go after Sheikh Mansour and that club they best not miss is the way I'm describing it now because the repercussions if Cass actually overturns this and if UEFA are found to have carried out an investigation that could be could have holes poked in it are massive because if people are able to, if if UEFA can't uphold this Champions League ban 
regardless of whether the ruling happens in the final abdication or sorry the final ruling happens in a couple of years time or whatever if that can't be upheld UEFA's ability to actually manage footballing competitions in Europe comes into question yeah the Super League argument has been brought forward several times in the sense that clubs will start thinking well why you know why on earth are we ruled by UEFA if they find out City 2 have infringed on the rules and they can't actually hold them to account what would be the point of being ruled by UEFA and I think it will have very interesting repercussions for football not only in the Premier League but in the continent itself in terms of how much clubs are willing to play by the rules i'm not suggesting that any club is squeaky clean and there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind closed doors and again i agree with you it's not tribalistic i think city are guilty of what they've been purported of i don't think there's any sense i don't think there's any point in coming out with this faux righteous attitude other than the fact that City genuinely believe they can get themselves off, despite the fact that if you look at any of the materials that have sourced out and that have come out from the Spiegel content that they released, and again, this ridiculous moralistic idea that, oh, well, the information that you hacked was taken illegally, so you can't use it. So what you're saying is you're not doubting the truthfulness of the materials and the sources that this material actually comes from. You're saying that because it was so-called hacked, it can't be used against you. I'm not quite sure that's how anything works. What's, what's, what's interesting is that I've seen that several um, very good um, reporters say that UEFA, UEFA not relying on those emails for their case, <clears throat> and they believe they have they have evidence from other submissions that were made to them um, that the, the, the what... City has done is nefarious and you know I think it's quite telling that City refused to take any part in the investigation itself by UEFA and refused to send them the email trails which they are from which the emails they are claiming are taken out of context came. Yeah I mean if they've got nothing to hide then they would surely not be not have conducted themselves in such a way. No you just you just front you just front up and take it you just front up and and you know even if you think you're gonna lose you take a proper part in the investigation you provide the materials um, provide, requested and then you can go to if you want to go to CAS or whatever and you can say look we completely complied with their investigation we just believe that their assessment is wrong whereas the, what they've done is just completely refuse to take any part in the investigation whatsoever um, which essentially means they're now going to CAS and, and CAS are saying well why are you showing us this now when you wouldn't show it at the time that you know there are quite a lot of very clever people who who think that UEFA have actually got a very very strong case, and that's why they've been willing to go go in this heavy and take it this far. The reality of these things is that there are so many moving parts in any any legal action that that, that City will take to Castle beyond that something can always fall down. But a lot of people are assuming that City are automatically going to either get off or have their the band dramatically reduced and I don't think that's necessarily the case at all I think this is really quite wide open I think for the first time City's owners are, are in a pond where they aren't the biggest they aren't necessarily the most powerful fish even if they've got the most money and and I think that they'll, they might find it a very difficult place to be swimming but we'll see in time I, I'd expect that I think Cass usually try and expedite cases where they need to be decided before a league season starts so hopefully it'll be resolved fairly soon because if you think about it it's not really fair that a club like say Sheffield United if they finish fifth doesn't know whether they can budget for Champions League football next year and sign players based on Champions League football or having to to cut their cloth um, Mm -hmm. a little more carefully Um, so it's all a bit all a bit of a mess I mean there are even suggestions today in the Times that 
Premier League clubs may ask for City's titles to be rescinded um, in that period. I mean, these are absolutely massive, massive stakes that we're talking about and the consequences for City if they don't overturn this are absolutely catastrophic and, and as much as mm-hmm. Guardiola says like he's going to stay and others might and the reality is if City adopt 30 points and and are banned from the Champions League for the next two years it's going to hit their ability to sign players to, to pay their players and you're looking at guys like De Bruyne at 29 and Aguero and kind of those guys that have been around for a long time that are really key to this side and can they hang around for another two years to win, to, to win the Champions League again um, and can can City afford to pay them for another two years to be in the Champions yeah. League again without that without that money um, so yeah the stakes are absolutely massive and I, I'm sure nobody's isn't enjoying a, bit, a little bit of schadenfreude in, in seeing a club that's clearly acted as if it doesn't have to live by the rest of the rules that everybody else does, meeting a degree of comeuppance, albeit with an asterisk next to it, as we wait on the case. Yeah, I mean, there's so many moving parts to it. It's fascinating. We could we could talk about this all night. I mean, I guess the interesting thing is if this punishment sticks and City stay in the top four and fifth place gets you a Champions League spot, to round it back to the United, considering actually this is what this podcast is about, there's not really much chance of us getting fifth really anyway, is there? <sighs> Yeah, you know, I just, I just don't know. I, I, so, I mean, <laughs> like, so, so much, so much. I think depends on when Rashford gets back. Because if you look at United's fixtures, we've got a really shitty set of fixtures for the next month. But but our running is generally pretty soft. Um, we've got some really winnable games, and I appreciate these are the games we've been slipping up in. But if you can get Rashford back and playing, possibly even get Pogba back and playing. But I wouldn't rely on that. But but Tom and A and and actually and Bruno Fernandes really grow into that role. You you could see it's not absolutely inconceivable that United could string a few wins together. I mean, you're not wrong, Rich. If you look at the actual fixtures from April to May, Brighton away, Bournemouth at home, Villa away, Southampton at home, followed by in May, Palace away. West Ham at home, and then our last game of the season, arguably the most difficult of that stretch is Leicester City away. And, yeah. you know, obviously with Europa League games, you would hope to come into the equation and perhaps another FA Cup tie in there. Obviously, there's going to be some games to manage. But it, it really is going to be March that is going to be the, the telling tie. And the thing is, you're talking about a relatively easier run. The one thing I would say about that, we have 17 points against the top six so far this season. Uh, I think we've got. 10 points against the bottom six so far this season. It's no good, but but I do think if we got Rashford back into into a, an attack which also has Bruno Fernandes in it, maybe has Paul Pogba in it, then I think we've got a far better chance of knocking some of those teams over than we have had without those players. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Right, okay, uh, I think that'll round it off, Rich. Uh, score predictions for Bruges and Watford then, please. Are we are we away against Bruges or at home? I, we I are away, yet. we're off to lovely yeah, Belgium. We are away. I, I I'm going to go for one all draw. Oh, okay. After cool. after we make some changes, we make a few changes and and, and we draw one all. I reckon Mason scores that set up by Galo. Yeah. He misses a penalty. That would be nice. Yeah, but then Galo scores <laughs> then... a uh, really scruffy, awful goal against Watford to get us squeakily over the line on Sunday. That's almost inevitable, isn't it? Against his yeah. against his former club in his in his first home game at United. It would be quite enjoyable. I'm sure Jerry quite... would enjoy it. It would be quite enjoyable just to beat a shit team. That would be that would be a, a real start for me. Well, to be fair, we did that tonight. So, <laughs> well, well, we did, but there's, but there's, there's, there's degrees of it. I mean, you know, we we, we know already that that um, Frank Lampard is is completely um, perplexed by facing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. 
in a way yes. that no other in a way that no other manager is. So, so perhaps, <laughs> perhaps... <laughs> was it you that retweeted that thing earlier on? Ole is Lampard's bogey manager. Yeah, well, he is, isn't he? Mm. Maybe tonight was the easy one, and the weekend is the hard one. Who knows? Who 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 the hell knows? But yeah, I'll go for I'll, I'll go for a two-one win at the weekend, just just out of pure blind faith, rather than uh, any inkling of what might happen. Fair enough. And I guess tune in next week to see if that blind faith is well founded. Richard, thank you very much for your company as always. My pleasure, as ever. Guys, thank you very much for listening, as always, as well. Don't forget, you can get us all over the internet, should you so wish. You can find me and Rich on Twitter, at at you and Lennart, and at Rich Red Voices, and the pod at Red Voices MUFC. Our blog can be found at redvoices.net, and you can find the podcast itself on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and on SoundCloud. On any of those platforms, if you would be so good as to give us a rating and a review or a subscription, that stuff always helps and is massively wonderful, and we really appreciate it. Take care of yourselves, guys. We will speak to you after the Watford game next week. Cheerio.